Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I did not get results, they did not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich, and here I have with me Glenda Sparrow. She is a health and wellness, self-development, earth medicine, integration work, body work, and breath work person. She loves talking about this stuff. Um, let's see, I'm going to read her intro so that I get it all right. So after 20 years, Glenda left the safe corporate world to create a life she truly could be passionate about helping others. Glenda is certified in pri as a primal health coach, certified holistic coach, and uses four pillars, food, movement, sleep, and mindset to help clients transform their lives while reducing inflammation in the body and brain. And this is one of the things that I am so excited to talk to her about. Glenda supports her clients by serving not only as a coach, but as a teacher, accountability partner, and a mentor. So Glenda, I'm going to let you tell a little bit about your story and about why I'm talking to you. Okay. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, when I was looking at your, your podcast and some of the things that you've spoken with other guests about, it felt really aligned with where I feel a lot of what I can do to help people is to bridge that gap between what their doctors tell them as far as a diagnosis, or if they just say, you need to eat right and exercise, most people don't know what that means. And our physicians don't typically have the time during their office visits to really help patients with those lifestyle behaviors that can help them be well. So I thought it would be fun to, to chat and then you know, it sounds like there's a lot of other modalities that we like to, to tap into and, and discuss. So excited to see where this goes today. Absolutely. So, you know, for, for me, the main premise of this show is how do we create a new tomorrow? How do we create systems that are different than the ones that we've already created, knowing that we are the creators of everything in our society? We've created the systems, we've created the money, we've created the buildings. We've created in our, through our imagination, everything that we see before us, and it's not really working for us. And so we want to create something better, different, that is more optimal, that's got, you know, gets better results. And so we're, we're looking at create a new tomorrow as a platform for promoting and discussing all of these kinds of 
issues that are in the society. So you mentioned a couple things just in, in that quick intro. Doctors don't have enough time. Average doctor's visit has gone from 10 minutes in the last, was like 10 years ago, to an average of six to seven minutes for a doctor's visit. Is it possible in a six to seven minute visit for a doctor to find out everything about you and know what it is that you need for your health. Is that possible? I don't believe that it is. In six to seven minutes, you probably can't even find out everything that a person has been experiencing that has brought them in to see you. I mean, certainly when I have a, a call with a client, I can't get out of them in six or seven minutes, you know, really tap into to what's going on with them to see how I can best help them. It takes much longer than that let alone to, you know, be able to not only talk to somebody about, I mean, sure, it's quick to write a prescription, but to tap into how are you sleeping? What types of foods are you eating? If you have diabetes or an inflammatory thing going on, to really talk to a patient about non-inflammatory foods and how movement plays a role in that. You know, those things, they just, there's not enough time for it. So this is part of where the system has broken down and some of us in the alternative and lifestyle medicine field have decided that the system broke down too far and it's time for us to kind of take up the slack. So how is it that you take up the slack so that you can really get the benefit for your clients and, and patients really, you know, we're not allowed to say patient when you're not a doctor. So you gotta say client However, it's really, you know, patience is, is important because somebody who's coming as a patient listens to a prescription more than somebody who's a client listens to advice, right? So true. So how do you get your clients to be compliant with the things that you give them, the advice that you give them? so that they can really get the change that they're seeking. Yeah, you know, ideally, we would be able to keep people well and get people to understand how lifestyle behaviors can prevent them from getting diseases and from getting sicknesses or ailments or, you know, whatever the case may be. And if you can, can get them to understand that and start making those lifestyle changes and behavioral changes now, then they, they will feel better, but it's very difficult. It's much easier when somebody gets to the breaking point, when they get to the point where, you know, they've been trying fad diets and they can't seem to lose weight, or they're at the point where they can barely move because they have so much stuff going on with their bodies that, you know, they're just not functional anymore. And so it's, it's sad to see that people get to that point when they could get ahead of it and just start living healthier now, which is, you know, I, I'm creating a course right now called Start With Five, and it's a five-minute daily mind-body boost because it's it truly can be that simple, and people don't think that it is. They have this these preconceptions that it's hard to be healthy, that it's expensive to be healthy, that you have to have an expensive gym membership or a personal trainer to be able to be fit and active, and that's simply not the case. So, you know, just trying to get people to see that there are a lot of simple things that they can do at home in their living rooms, in their bedrooms, whatever, to, to move their body and to make different food choices. 
and that helps their sleep. Sleep then helps your mindset, right? Like it all goes together. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it'd be great if we could get people to take those steps early on before they get super sick. But other times it's like, you know, they're just at their wits end and have, have no other place to turn. Absolutely. So, you know, my thing is what, what I see is that somebody will tell somebody what to do and they don't explain the whys and they don't explain the hows and more importantly, the what's. So for example, eat healthier, right? This is a statement that, that somebody might make. Eat organic, eat healthy food. It's expensive. Why is it expensive? And people won't do it because it's expensive, like to eat grass-fed meat versus eating pesticide-fed, grain-fed, corn-fed meat for instance, what does that do to a person's body and how much does that cost in the long run versus eating less, but higher quality? Right. And that's something that, you know, I, in my programs, I explain all of those details about what I call the food spectrum. So it's kind of like a good, better, best approach to how to buy meat, what type of vegetables to buy, that kind of a thing. Certainly it's better to eat a, a large farm carrot than it is to go get fast food. So, you know, just try to keep that into perspective. If you're not able to afford the, the difference in a pasture raised egg or pasture raised grass fed beef, you know, it's still better to be buying some beef that you're cooking at home the right way than to be eating packaged food or going to a fast food restaurant. So, but it does, I mean, it makes a difference in the long run because of the chemicals and the hormones that we're then putting into our bodies that make us sick. Absolutely. I believe that the, the number is somewhere close to 70,000 chemicals that we've introduced into society that weren't there before and that was in the late 1970s that that really began, right? Mm -hmm. And so out of those 70,000 chemicals that have been pushed into our food, our air, our water, what our bodies do with that is they're not aligned with those chemicals. They don't know how to process the chemicals. Our bodies are really designed to eat natural foods and in a, in a very seasonal way. And with the monoculture and monocropping of, of products uh, and mass production, we don't get the variety and we don't get the minerals, we don't get the nutrients that we used to get. So how does somebody navigate this? If they're just somebody listening in on the, to the show, I've got, and they've got diabetes, they've got heart disease, they've got cancers and they're looking at, at the world and at Google doc, you know, we call it Dr. Google uh, because that's where people go nowadays, but the messaging is so vast and so um, what's the word I want to use conflicting one week milk is good for you. One week milk is bad for you. And the next week it's good for you again. Eggs are good for you. No, only the egg whites are good. No. Okay. You got to have the egg, the cholesterol and the, and the egg yolks. 
You've got to have that. How do people know what it is that they're supposed to be doing when, when they have Dr. Google telling them so many conflicting stories? Well, it's not just Dr. Google. We have to remember where we get so much of our information about what foods we should be eating. And that comes from the people who are mass producing them, right? So why are we told, why do we have this belief and why does the, the food pyramid tell us that we have to have, I don't know, 20,000 servings of grains every day because the food industry is paying them money to get us to eat those things. Why, are, why do we think that milk is good for us? Because the dairy industry says that we should be drinking milk to support their, their businesses. And so I teach from a very primal perspective and that means eating fats, meats, and veggies eat a ton of them, eat a variety of them, cook them the way that our ancestors would have, meaning a lot of spices, a lot of herbs, a lot of very natural things, not using sauces that are coming out of a jar that are loaded with sugars. And then the foods that I recommend avoiding are sugars, grains, and industrial oils. And I always explain why, how those sugar, grains, and industrial oils cause that inflammation, not just in our bodies, but in our brains, which is also leading to a lot of the mood disorders and mental issues that people are having, you know, and that's, I really started to discover a lot of this for myself, even before taking the, the primal health coach Institute certification, how my body was affected. My moods were affected. If I ate a lot of um, say pizza, or if I was out drinking, or if I had a lot of sugar or pasta, I really noticed a difference in my moods. So it was, it was interesting when I was going through my certification to really see the why, you know, why that's a, a, a really a thing. It's not just me that experiences that. So, you know, to understand how the non-inflammatory approach really works, not just for our bodies, but for our brains too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you, when you look at what we're told to eat, it's, it shouldn't be as hard as, as people think that it is. Eat tons of veggies meats and fats, good, healthy fats. So I, I'm going to be a devil's advocate here for a second. Okay. So I've said this on previous episodes, an apple today is about the equivalent or, well, I, let me, let me rephrase this one apple 50 years ago is the equivalent of about eight to 12 apples in nutrients today. And they've been hybridized to produce a massive amount of sugar. Yes. So how does one avoid these current issues of lack of nutrients, high sugars, when, oh, I'm eating fruit, I, I'm eating healthy, I'm eating the, the, the apple a day to keep the doctor away. Yeah. So the way that I, I work with clients is I say, look, if you're going to, if you're going to eat, if you want sugar, I would much rather that a client is eating an apple than eating a, a cake or a piece of cake. Right. So if you, if your body's wanting sugar, if you want to tap into it, you know, okay, there are worse things that you could be eating, but I also make sure that they understand what even those natural sugars do in our bodies with spiking our insulin levels. Um, so, you know, helping to put some perspective around that. But certainly it's still better than a bowl of ice cream or, or a cake, but it, it is, it's like, and I've even noticed the difference in my lifetime, the size of apples 
as an example, they have gotten huge. And half the time, even if I want an apple, like I can't eat a whole one. Like it's, you're full after one apple. That, that's true. So let's talk about the actual effects that happen in somebody's body when they have too much sugar, for instance. Mm-hmm. What, what happens in their body? What's the process that, that they go through, especially if they're diabetic? Yeah. So when you're consuming too much sugar and your body is not able to react to it, your insulin spikes anytime that you're eating sugar. And we just end up completely overworking our bodies, our pancreas and, and everything else when we are not eating a, from a, like a real primal strategy. So, and people don't realize that people just think that food is something that we put in our mouths because it tastes good. And the clock says that it's time to eat. We don't think about what is going on within our bodies and our minds, how our body is tapping into that food as fuel, how all of our organs are working when food goes into our mouths. We're just, we're oblivious to all of that. So trying to provide some understanding without getting too nitty gritty into the science for clients, I think can really help. Absolutely. So one of the things that, that I suggest to people when, whenever, I used, when I, whenever I was doing functional medicine consulting, is I would put people on an elimination plan. So we would literally eliminate anything that was happening that they were eating that could possibly cause an inflammatory or allergic response, a food allergy response, anything that would make the histamine system and the immune response go spike, right? And then when we would start adding back in foods one at a time, we would see, okay, how do I, you know, after you, you add in a tomato, for instance, which has a lot of great nutrients. However, for many people, it's, it's a nightshade. And for many people, it's highly inflammatory. For some, it's just minorly inflammatory, right? Mm-hmm. It's a nightshade. Nightshades are poisons. There's a lot of them that are considered to be very healthy, but they have to be prepared and cooked a specific way in order to negate the the nightshade poison, right? Yes. What we would do is we would take a tomato, for instance, and have them add that back into their diet. And then we'd ask them a question. How do you feel? What's going on in your joints? What's going on in your body? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your emotions? so that they could really get an understanding of what that food was doing to them specifically. And, and I'll just give a brief uh, story. I had a, a chiropractor doctor friend of mine in Los Angeles. Uh, we used to, you know, doctor to the stars, so to speak, had an office on the Paramount Studios. And so we would be on TV and movie sets all the time. And he would eat in craft services. And this is, mind you, 15, 20 years ago, where craft services were not quite as healthy as they are today. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he would eat something and then I'd be working on him and he'd, and I'd find a place of pain and he'd say, oh, that's the popcorn that I had the other day. Oh, that's (laughs) the other day. You know, he, he literally would, would um, <laughs> would express the foods that he was eating and what and that that was the area that that caused the pain, and 
he didn't change his diet. <laughs> he didn't mind the pain because he liked the diet, but he at least understood where it came from, where those pains were coming from. It was very interesting to, mm -hmm. to work on him because every, every spot I would find was a different spot of, ooh, that food was, <laughs> that's what I ate yesterday <laughs> at the table. Yes. Those were the M&Ms. Yeah, nightshades and legumes are, are two food categories that I advise clients to be mindful of when they have them. And if they have any inflammatory issues whatsoever that they're working with, especially any sort of autoimmune issue, to try to cut those items out. I don't really coach from a, a full elimination standpoint, except for those, you know, the, the grain sugars, industrial oils. And then if you have inflammatory challenges, the nightshades and legumes, simply because of the toxins that you were talking about, the natural poisons that are in those as they're, they're growing. And they do have an impact, not on everybody, but on a lot of people. And it's, how would you know, right? Right. Well, it, you know, the only way that I've found for people to actually experience the knowing is to do the elimination first and then add those back in. But if even if you look at Indian cuisine, for instance, where nightshades and lectins are hugely popular, part of the food culture, look at how much time they spend cooking those foods. Right. None of them are eaten raw and none of them are eaten without a massive amount of cooking mm -hmm. in sauces, in things. I mean, they, they cook them for hours and hours and hours and hours in order to get the poisons out. It's the same thing with, with uh, potatoes. There's been a lot of studies, potatoes in general are poisonous which is why you have to cook them in order to eat them. I think it was Russell Crowe who uh, almost went the hospital, went to the hospital and almost died when he was first starting off as an actor because potatoes were like the cheapest food you could eat. And so he would buy one of those big 10 pound bags back in the day when you could get a 10 pound <laughs> potato remember them. For, for like a dollar or two for the bag. And that was his only diet. That was his only food. And he got so overwhelmed with poison from eating those potatoes that he almost died. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was Russell Crowe. So don't quote me on that, but you can look up to see if it was him. Uh, <laughs> might've been, might been one of the other actors. Uh, however, you know the, the idea is the same. The principle is the same. Is we've got to really watch not just what we eat, but how we eat them, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what is your, your base suggestion for somebody who's got diabetes, got an autoimmune issue in general when it comes to lectins and legumes and you know, say they're a vegan and they're still having these issues. This is one of the, the, the places where I, I tried to be a vegan for a couple of years and it made me extremely unhealthy and it was because back then, again, that you know, this was a long time ago, but back then the only things for a vegan to eat were legumes, <laughs> beans, rice, you know, grains, and mm -hmm. and things like that. So highly sugary, highly uh, 
poisonous lectin, uh, you know, those kinds of foods. So how, how does one avoid these things when they're on a fairly strict vegan or vegetarian diet, or if they have an autoimmune disease? Sure. Well, the first thing, especially with, with vegetarians and vegans is to make sure that they're not consuming any processed foods because I, I have a lot of friends who are, are strict vegans and they have ethical reasons for doing so, which I fully support. But you see a lot of them who end up supplementing their diet with a lot of processed junk, stuff out of a box, stuff out of a can. You know, somebody was telling me they're eating SpaghettiOs. Like <laughs> there are better choices than SpaghettiOs if you're a vegan. Um, so just trying to eliminate the, the processed stuff first. And then you know, if, if they're not having issues with the nightshades or legumes, then great. But trying to get enough of the regular vegetables and the good quality fats in their diets to, to help them, you know, kind of figure out where they're at with it. Um, it's, I haven't worked with any clients that have been vegan and diabetic. That's an interesting thing. Have, have you noted at all why that might be? No, no, I haven't. It's not something that I've really thought about until you asked me that question, actually. <laughs> I, I actually have. I've had a, a number of vegan and vegetarians who have had diabetes, which is why they converted uh, in some cases to begin with. And the, the issue is that they were still eating a lot of very sugary fruits yep. and sugary vegetables and things like that. And, uh, and we're eating a lot of processed. Yes. Uh, even for gluten-free, I see gluten-free packaging everywhere. And I, if I look at the ingredient list, and I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about why the ingredient list is more important than say the nutritional panel. But if you look at the ingredient list, it's full of things like dextrose, which is a sugar, uh, corn syrup, another sugar, um, corn solids. I mean, there's so many different ways of saying sugar now. <laughs> yes. And I think I just read the other day, I think there were 56 different terms for sugar that the food industry can use. Really? I think now natural sweetener is also being uh, used for sugar or for corn syrup for, yeah, for high fructose corn syrup, natural, mm -hmm. natural sweetener for high fructose corn syrup. So yeah. it's it's really important to pay attention to ingredient lists, right? Yes. So talk a little bit more about the ingredient list versus the nutritional panel. Sure. So when, when you're looking at most packaged foods, the ingredient list, it's really those first couple of items on the ingredient list that we really want to pay attention to. And almost everything that's coming out of a package, the first couple of ingredients are some type of sugar, whatever name that they're, they're using, and industrial oils. So those are going to be like your, your seed oils, your corn oil or uh, sunflower oil, any of those, which are considered industrial oils. And they're just, they wreak havoc on our bodies and our minds. And, you know, the longer the list of ingredients, the worse it probably is for you, but really pay attention to those first few ingredients that are on there. And, you know, I don't, I don't coach anybody to count calories or macros or any of that, unless they're truly trying to lose a lot of weight, then I recommend looking at your carbs for a couple of days here and there. 
Because most people who say, oh, I eat pretty well, when they actually start looking at how many carbs they're consuming, they're usually shocked by what they see when they actually count it. I don't recommend counting it every day, you know, because I, again, I go for a very simple approach to where we just try to make eating more fun and more natural. Awesome. So talk a little bit more about primal eating and what that entails, what it involves. Sure. Primal eating is really going back to eating how our ancestors did. And that's the, the fats, meats, and veggies, and then fruits on occasion. So, and when you think about how our ancestors ate fruits, when you were talking about the apple earlier, our ancestors would eat fruit only when it was in season, which wasn't that often. They couldn't just go to their local grocery store and pick up fruit that's been sitting in cold storage for an entire year or longer. So when you look at it, how some of our produce, and I, I did work in an industry that had a lot of involvement with produce growers for four years. And it's, it's very interesting to know that when things in our country and elsewhere in the world are actually being grown and how we're able to buy them in the grocery store year round, right? It's like, hmm, what's going on with that, those apples? And so truly like right now is apple season in the Northern parts of our country. And those apples we get to buy all year because they sit, they sit in cold storage. And most produce is like that if you're not buying from local, local farms or locally grown produce. So let's talk a little bit more about these broken systems that, that I like to talk about, because you just mentioned a broken system, which is the agricultural and produce market. And we're going to piss off a lot of farmers um, right now, but we shouldn't be pissing off the farmers. We should be push, push, pissing off the agri-farmers, meaning farmers to me never had to wear hazmat suits, right? Overalls, good to go. My grandfather was a farmer. <laughs> a, a straw in your mouth and a pair of overalls and you, you, were, you were good to go. If yep. you get images now of these big agri farms, they're in hazmat suits. They're spraying pesticides everywhere and they're, they're literally having to wear hazmat suits. And in fact, I know some potato farmers for McDonald's they irradiate their food so much because they're not allowed to have any brown spots in their potatoes. No brown spots allowed. McDonald's will send them back. And so they have their irradiated, uh, you know, very highly toxic food that they grow for, for them. And then they have their section of nice, healthy, organic potatoes that they grow completely separately that they use for their own family and, and neighbors. Mm -hmm. What's the problem with the system that allows for that in a way that is so destructive to our physical health? What it, why is it that people, especially the farmers, accept this kind of poison being put into our food supply and water supply. Everything has to be done cheaply, right? So you end up having any of the small farms that we used to have, whether it be produce or livestock or anything else, they end up getting bought out by the bigger guys. And the bigger guys are mass producing because they're dealing with the largest grocery chains around the country. And, you know, they're just trying to grow more, bigger, and cheaper. 
So you get into having to spray everything with chemicals because you don't want the loss that happens when you do have insects that come into the product. So it's just, it's an absolute mess, which it might cost us a little bit more to go down to our local market. And, you know, we're lucky to live in Florida where we do get to have produce that's, that's local almost all year here. Um, but if you can, if you can eat locally grown food as much as possible and smaller, smaller farm raised product as much as possible. And then, yeah, if you live in a colder climate in the wintertime and you need to tap into some of those larger farm, larger produce type or production type of products, okay, you know, that's, it's all right. You're not doing it all year. So you're trying to make the best choices that you can when you can. So in, in my area of Florida, they say that, you know, I go to a farmer's market and they say locally grown and locally sprayed. Or I ask, do you have organic? <laughs> the answer is no. So even the farmer's markets here, are it's really difficult to find higher quality organic food that's not been sprayed with, with pesticides and stuff. But more to my point is the question of why do we as people allow it? And why do the farmers who know what's happening on their farms allow it? What is it that the psychology behind allowing ourselves to make decisions that go completely against our own self-interest. Sure. Well, totally speculating here. This is not an area that I've fully researched or, you know, have a, a background in, but my theory on this is when, when you started having women going back to work, right. And so both, both people, both adults in the house were, were working you needed quick, fast ways to prepare meals. And so the food industry took advantage of that, right? I mean, I grew up eating nothing. At my dad's house was different, but at my mom's house where I lived, it was nothing but stuff that was out of a can or a box. I ate, I mean, probably 90% sugar in, in the foods that I had. Nothing but sugary cereals, all kinds of Twinkies and Ho-Hos and fruit roll-ups and sodas constantly. And you know, that's, that's what I grew up on. When I was 16 and could drive, I was eating fast food two, three times a day. Ridiculous. Thank goodness I have a, a thinner build. So I didn't have an issue with my weight, but my health was horrible. Um, but I, you know, I think that our food industry tapped into that and started mass producing things to make it easier for people to get dinner on the table after work more quickly. And we just, we stopped wanting to to farm things in our own backyard. We stopped wanting to grow vegetables in our own backyards. And, you know, I can remember my grandfather who was a farmer, he had, um, you know, a lot of his land because he was older at that point, he rented out to, to other farmers, but he always had a huge garden where he grew vegetables and flowers and whatnot for the family. And I don't remember anybody else that I grew up with ever saying that they had, had were eating something that came from their yard or, you know, a family member's yard, you know, everything was coming from the grocery store. And, and I really don't think that, that people, as I was mentioning earlier, we simply don't give thought into what we're putting into our bodies, the water that we're drinking even. So when you're not given any thought to it, you're unaware of what's going on. You're unaware of how this food is affecting your, your health physically and mentally. And it's just, when you're not thinking about it, then you're not going to do anything about it. 
you know, it's funny, this, this concept of awareness is, uh, is interesting to me because we're aware that we have to eat. Yep. We're aware that our bodies are not necessarily feeling good. We're aware that cancer is spreading like wildfire, diabetes, dementia, heart disease, etc. Beyond pandemics, or I mean pandemics and other kinds of of issues with health, but we're aware of this. We're also aware that the medical system in our country is not getting the results that the technology should allow us to be getting. So we're aware in, in my realm, my, my way of thinking, we're aware of a lot of things. The, the details are the things that we're not aware of. People don't realize, like it, we're here in Florida, right? The water here has a mass amount of prescription drugs massive amount, mostly drugs that are designed for people 60 years and older, because we're an older population. The average uh, person over 60, I think, is taking 18 pills to 26 pills a day. Hmm. And all of those pills have to come out somewhere. And they come out urine and stool. They go into our water supply. And now our water is filled with them. They actually found in Seattle, the Alaskan or the uh, wild salmon is filled with cocaine and antidepressants, right? Wow. So we're eating foods, but we don't know these details, some of these details. So how do we get this message out more other than like these kinds of podcasts that go really to only a limited number of people, not a population of people. But how do we get these messages out in a more effective way so that the powers that be cannot do it to us anymore in the silence of, or the invisibility of silence? Yeah, and that's that's not something that I have a great answer for because I, I feel like the more that we keep talking about it with the people in our circles, the people that people that were, you know, maybe not at this point, but you know, the people that we might be sitting next to in a, in an airplane or something, right. The more that we can talk about it and show, and then talk about how, since I've made these changes in my food intake, this is how I feel. And you kind of start spreading it that way. But I think we're a long ways away from people really starting to understand how the foods that we're eating impact everything about us physically and mentally. And it's, I feel like it's, it's growing, but I think, you know, there's so much of the population that's, it's going to be a long time before they tap into it. And I know we're talking about people, but I had the same sort of situation with my dog and the vet that I had been taking her to since I moved to this town Um, she, you know, my dog had had an an issue where she wasn't walking well. So we were, she was on several different antibiotics, strong ones for well over a year. When she was finally able to get off of those, I was talking to the vet about her treatment plan. And the vet was simply, um, well, we're just going to treat it with drugs. We're just going to give her some NSAIDs and whatever else. And I'm like, well, what about, are there any other anti-inflammatory type of changes that I can make for her? And the vet's like, no, it's just drugs. 
like, oh, wait a minute. I wouldn't see a doctor for myself that only could, could think that way about how to treat anything that's going on with me. So why am I doing this to my dog? So, you know, I, I looked around and I did find another clinic that's right here in the same town. And I went in for a consultation and he's like, yeah, well, we can do these different sort of treatment plans when she has an issue. And yes, certainly she needs to have a painkiller for when she has an issue walking, you know, fully support that, but it's not something that she needs to be on all the time. So, you know, I think if we start looking for other ways to treat ourselves that don't necessarily include taking 18 drugs a day, I mean, good Lord, that's like, <laughs> you're, you're taking 18 drugs a day, but yet you're eating McDonald's and eating processed foods. And you know, like, I even saw somebody, it was at a, um, at an event with people who are very into earth medicines and that kind of a thing. And um, eating organic foods and vegetarians, vegans, all of that. And this person was eating organic Doritos. And I was just like, oh boy, it's still a Dorito. <laughs> so yeah, I think that we just have to, to show by example and talk about it as much as we can with as many people as we can to help them see that there is there are other options that don't don't necessarily lead just going straight to prescription meds. Yeah, so, you know, to me, all of this is incumbent upon government. It's incumbent upon this, you know, these companies and, and people to make the difference. The, the foods that the government subsidizes, the farms that the government subsidizes are the corn, the soy, potato, I mean, the grain farmers, right? So they're subsidizing with our tax dollars these foods so that we can have them cheaply, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're grown cheaply. And we actually pay a lot of money in our tax dollars for these subsidies. And if we were to change the subsidy from unhealthy mass-produced foods to healthier foods, then all of a sudden, the foods that are healthy would become less expensive. It actually is cheap to grow an onion in your backyard. It's cheap to grow a tomato in your backyard. It's cheap to grow a, a pepper, all of a sudden, and some cilantro. Now you have a, a salsa that's really good, right? You, you can make some of these things yourself, but beyond that, you know, one of, one of my suggestions to our government, government, are you listening? <laughs> government, are you listening? <laughs> Is that instead of planting along the roads and in our parks, our public parks, right? Instead of planting a bunch of oak trees and palm trees and stuff like that, why don't we plant um, fruit trees? Mm -hmm. and berry bushes and vegetables and then have farmers markets for the community. You know, if you're in a, in a, a public college or university or even a public school uh, elementary on to have one of the things that you have a, an abundance of is land, even if that land is on the roof right. and you can take your kids up there. Now you have cheap labor, <laughs> 
and you could teach them how to grow food. And all of a sudden, and that food will feed the entire school instead of having to transport food, right? So these are some of my personal solutions. Do you have any personal solutions that can be made for people who are, say, in an area that there isn't a place that they can go that has a lot of uh, abundance of organic, healthy food? Mm -hmm. Well, certainly there are ways that people can grow things inside their homes if they wanted to. You know, there's a lot of window box type herbs and that that you can you can grow inside. And you know, most people have some level of outdoor space, even if it is a balcony or a rooftop where they could grow even a couple of items. And I think that our society just doesn't, we're so far removed from that type of lifestyle. They didn't have the luxury like I did of being able to go spend weekends or even summer vacations a week or so at a time on my grandparents' farm where I was shoveling the, the chicken shit out of the chicken coop with my grandpa, right? And picking things out of the garden and, and just helping my grandmother do canning with products that came out of the garden. And like people don't really do that anymore. It's they're so far removed from the simple idea that food doesn't have to come from some ginormous corporation that we only buy at the grocery store, that we only buy out of a box or, or a jar. And so it, it just, it blows me away that, you know, we're, we've done that to ourselves. And you know, you're talking about the, the food industry and, and big government. And when you look at grains, the reason that grains are not processed well by us, and I can't remember the number, but it's like 75% like of people have some level of gluten intolerance, some level of digestion issues when, they're, when they eat any sort of a grain. Grains were not around until about 10,000 years ago, which seems like a long, long time ago, but in the grand scheme of human beings walking on two feet, it's not, right? So grains and monogamy came about because you had people who had to uh, create these civilizations. They had to, you know, they started owning land that was mine. And, you know, me being a woman, I wasn't allowed to own land. So I had to attach myself to a man who did so that I could be provided for and my children could be provided for. And these grains were grown because they were cheap there was enough space to do so and they could be stored in silos for such a long period of time and so you know that's really when when we started putting so many grains into our diets and why so many people can't process them digest them well yeah you know um all grains are not good for people even if they are if they have good properties and, and i'll just say this why why is a grain not good for somebody? Well, the grain absorbs is an absorbent. It absorbs minerals. And so if you're, let's say you're taking, you're paying a lot of money for that mineral supplement, right? And then you eat a food with a lot of grain. The grain's gonna absorb the mineral supplement before it gets into your body to digest. So you won't be processing those nutrients. You'll be passing the minerals through. Now, all of a sudden you're mineral deficient and you, can, you might think to yourself, why am I mineral deficient? I take all these multivitamins and minerals. You're deficient because you're eating food that absorbs them before you have a chance to absorb them. And when it comes to gluten, 
uh, and I, I've said this on, on prior shows, gluten is a protein that's made by a, the, the plant in order to kill whatever tries to eat it. It's a poison that is designed to stop bugs from eating it. In the US, we have hybridized our grains so that they are extremely glutinous. We've actually hybridized and genetically modified our grains to be more glutinous than say in Europe and in France and so on, which is why a lot of the people in France are a lot healthier and a lot skinnier than the people in the US, even though they eat a highly buttery, milky, creamy, bready diet, right? Mm -hmm. Learning about different cultures and the way that these grains and stuff affect us is really important because a hundred percent of the people are gluten sensitive. Even if you're not feeling the inflammation from it, it creates a, a minor inflammatory response. Some people are extremely gluten intolerant and it creates an extreme inflammatory response. And that inflammatory response is what creates disease of all kinds. So all disease starts with one thing and that's inflammation due to stimulus on what we eat, what we breathe and what we drink. Yep. Right? Yes. So out in my backyard, I have a filter that filters all of the water in my house, including the showers. Because when I moved to Florida, I would take a shower and I'd start sneezing and having an allergic response to the water in Florida because it's so bad, the quality of water here. So I needed to have a, a filtering system that filters it. People don't always have these, the resources or the know-how to do so, but you wanna know what's even worse is the plastic water. Water that's in plastic bottles that people buy by the dozen, by the double dozen, 24, 36 bottles in one case, those bottles have leached plastic into the water and you're drinking plastic water. Your body does not know how to digest plastic. So what happens is the fat surrounds the toxin because that's its job and holds it and stores it so it doesn't go through your circulatory and your, you know, your blood system. And all of a sudden you're drinking all this water. You're thinking I'm a pretty healthy person. I'm drinking a lot of water and yet I'm still a hundred pounds overweight or 50 pounds overweight or 10, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Interesting to me how, how the body works and how we have gotten, as you said, so far removed from leading kind of a natural lifestyle. So, you know, what are some of the ways that you suggest that people get back to living those natural lifestyles? Sure, before I answer that, I wanna go back to when you were talking about people in France that eat a lot of dairy. Dairy is 
a lot of people are, are lactose intolerant because we were not destined, not uh, set up to consume milk after we were infants. There's an enzyme, and I can't remember the name of it right now, it's slipping from my head, but the enzyme that allows us to digest our mother's milk disappears when we're toddlers. So, you know, dairy can be an issue for a lot of people, and that's something to be aware of. But people in France that are eating dairy are not eating light or fat-free dairy products, right? If they're eating dairy, they're eating full fat dairy, which is far better for us than to consume something that is light or fat-free. Um, I highly recommend anything that you're eating that has the words light or fat-free on it. Don't buy that again. Go for the full fat grass-fed, you know, even your butters go for a grass-fed ghee, a grass-fed butter. Um, I love Kerrygold butter. My friend turned me on to that. My breathwork guy actually turned me on to that this summer. And, you know, I had never heard of it before. And once I tried it, oh my Lord, that stuff is heaven. It is so good. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, if you're going to eat dairy, go with a full fat variety. And if you're putting any sort of non-dairy creamer in your coffee, skip out on that, go for the full heavy cream. It's going to taste better and not have all the chemicals that are in, in the other sugars in that, that they're adding into products that are light or fat-free. Right. So go ahead. I, I've seen recently uh, at some of the stores, they have the A2 milks and the A2 milk has the enzyme that allows you to process that better. So hmm. you can get the A2 organic milk that's whole fat, not, you know, not skim, not 1%, 2%, 0%. Those are good. So why would somebody want fat? Because I think you just scared a lot of people who grew up in, in the fat-free age. Oh, I did. I mean, it was, I ate non-fat frozen yogurt for like every day for a summer because I thought that was healthy for me because it was fat-free. <laughs> I found myself not feeling so well and had to go to the doctor because I was nearly passing out from you know not eating properly. Um, fat is not the enemy. Fat is good to satiate us to, you know, it's needed for our brains to function properly. If you've got brain fog going on, you, you lose focus easily, you're probably not getting enough good fats. So eating good, healthy fat, the grass-fed ghee or grass-fed butter, um, using, eating avocado, good, healthy nuts, um, eating uh, avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, those are good and those are saturated fats that are, are good for us and, and help our bodies and our minds. Where we get into problem are the, the unsaturated fats that are what actually cause cholesterol, not the meat and the eggs. So it's the, the industrial oils that we want to avoid in those other fake dairy products or fake butter products, margarines and that, that are just loaded with industrial oils that we want to avoid. Right. But fats on, the, on their own, those are not the enemy. And if you're, if you're eating a primal strategy, a very natural you know, veggies, meats strategy, and you find yourself still being hungry, add a little bit more fats into your meal to sati satiate you, and you'll probably feel a lot better. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about fats is that our brain is made of fat and cholesterol, and if you want your brain to work properly, which means you want your nervous system work, to work properly, which means you want your organs to work properly, you've got to eat plenty of fat. Uh, trans fats, no. 
those are the ones that come from the cow that has been uh, in a stable his entire life and been eating grains. The saturated fats, good stuff, is where they've been roaming on the land, eating the grass, cycling the grass because they're moving around a lot. And those are healthy kinds of fats. And so that's a really important thing for people to understand. The other thing is in sports, because uh, as you know, I'm a sports therapist. I work with Olympic and Paralympics and so on. And uh, for sports, we stopped doing carb loading before competition days and started doing fat loading. So you'd eat nut butters, you'd eat avocados, you eat all those kinds of things. There's two things that that does for you. One is it satiates your appetite because it takes a lot longer for fat to digest, which is why they say fat has more calories per gram than say meat or vegetable does. That's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. It takes longer to digest, which means that you burn more calories by eating it than you do by eating something that is a quick digesting food. And so for a competition, you have this long-term energy going based on that fat loading versus the carb loading. It's, a, it's an interesting way. There is no essential carbs. That's another thing I, wanna, I wanted to mention. I want you to talk a little bit. About. There's no essential carbs at all. There is essential amino acids. There's essential fatty acids, but there's no essential carbs. Yet our food pyramid would have you believe something completely different. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so all of the carbs that our body needs can be found in vegetables and having a small amount of fruits in our diets. We don't need to add in any of the additional grains that the food industry convinced our government to tell us we did. They're just, they're not needed. Absolutely. So <clears throat> what are some, some of the ways that you give to your clients a new life, so to speak? Because I know there's a lot of people, and you're in Florida, there's a lot of people in Florida that are uh, closer to the elderly uh, age group. It's the retirement state other than Vegas, like Vegas, Arizona, and Florida. That's where people go to retire. And they are the obviously the most ingrained in their habits. So how do we get them to change their habits so that they become healthier? Because I know a lot of people who want to be 80 years old and still be on the tennis court. Mm -hmm. For sure. And you know, where I live in Florida, there aren't as many older people as there are in the rest of the state. It's, I'm very fortunate to live in an area where it is mostly people, you know, feel like they're, they're my age that are very health minded, very fitness minded, and, you know, feel like, you know, they're on the path to, to try to be 89 years old and still playing tennis. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome to live in an area like this, but you know, how you get somebody to, to change. I don't think that you can, I think that they have to want to make adjustments and they have to be ready to hear and ready to seek out help. So 
you know, you can, you can talk to somebody to your blue in the face, but unless they're ready to receive that, then they're, they're not going to, they're just going to keep doing what they want to do. So, you know, I take the approach of wanting to help as many people as possible, but also knowing that the knowledge that I have that could help them, they have to be ready for it. Cool. So let's start talking a little bit of, we can go off, off subject a little bit and start talking about things like plant medicines and things that people can do in order to um, improve their health via plant medicines versus drugs. Mm-hmm. Sure. So plant medicines are, are really making a, a big impact right now. And whether that's something that was really started by the folks out in Silicon Valley that were talking about the benefits that they were seeing from microdosing things like LSD or shrooms, which LSD is not a plant medicine synthesized, but, um, and the people who've had a lot of, of traumas and, you know, when you talk about any sort of trauma and you're very well aware of this, how much of things that we've experienced in our lives, whether it be a surgery that we had for a good reason, whether it be a car accident that we were in, whether it be something that happened to us that was emotionally involved, emotionally charged, we hold on to all of that in our bodies. And so when you can tap into doing things like breath work, um, even massage can help expel some of, express some of those things out of your body. The first time I did breath work was after an experience with an earth medicine and I was feeling stuck energies in my solar plexus and my throat chakra. And almost like I, like, I felt like I was like, there was something stuck, like I needed to throw up, but couldn't. And this went on for days after that experience. And so the first time that I did breath work with a true therapist to see the things that, that express out of my body. And it was just, you know, like kind of not screaming, but just releasing vocally. And, you know, just the charge that I felt through my body from doing that sort of breath work it was just astounding to me how free I felt afterwards, how open I felt like I was. I, I felt like for the first time in my life, like I could communicate things that my head was thinking and it came out of me without it feeling like it was a challenge. So, you know, breath work is something that people can tap into that is perfectly legal. And there's, you know, are there no challenges around doing that? There's no side effects to doing breath work. Um, but when you get into some of the earth medicines, that can be a little bit different. There certainly are things to, to consider and making sure that you are working with the right intention, that you are working with a medicine provider or medicine guide or a shaman or you know whatever that person wants to call themselves, that you're doing the research into who that person is um, and that you are well aware of what can happen when you tap into some of these very sacred medicines because it, it goes deep. It really forces you to go, to go deep into things that you may not be aware of that your body's holding. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as you said, these medicines are making a resurgence, so to speak, and, uh, and tribal living, primal living is making a bit of a resurgence in some aspects in the world. Uh, from the 70s on, it was pretty much illegal to even study 
some of these medicines. And now it's become legal again. And a lot of psychologists are reporting tremendous effects with microdosing of mushrooms, the magical kind of mushrooms. But there's all, all kinds of mushrooms that have health benefits. But that's one of them. When somebody takes these microdoses of mushrooms, they, and the psilocybin kind, just be, be clear, their emotional traumas release at a much more rapid rate than strictly with talk therapy. Ayahuasca as well is, is a Peruvian medicine that they consider to be kind of like the mother of all Amazonian medicine. And if you know anything about Amazonian medicine or drugs, if you know, like I, I had a, I was talking to a pharmacist and almost all the pharmaceutical drugs are derived and then synthesized from these natural Amazonian plant medicines. Mm -hmm. But ayahuasca back in the day, tribally, they would take the ayahuasca and then they would, the, the tales are that the ayahuasca would show them what, uh, what the other medicines in the, what the other plants in the forest or in the Amazon, uh, Amazonian forest do. So they actually learned about those medicines because they were taking the ayahuasca. And then hundreds and thousands of years later, we Westerners decide that we're going to stick it in, synthesize it and turn it into something else. Right. We, we synthesize. So like I, I always use the example of Valium because people take Valium to relax and Valium is made from valerian root, which is a root of a plant. And the valerian root has very little side effect, if any, while Valium has a massive amount of side effects. And so if you had a choice of what to take, valerian root or Valium, which one would you choose? audience, which one would you choose? So this is, this is you know, a, it's a great conversation for people. I want to have the audience really get a wide variety of possibilities of things that they can learn and, and do for themselves. Now, I'm not saying go out and take some ayahuasca and just willy-nilly it and see what happens. I'm saying that you can research these things, that there are places that you can go to take these medicines and have a shaman, have a healer, have somebody who is a supportive person there to help you move through the traumas that you may be experiencing, the emotional uh, issues, the drug addictions. I mean, you know, look at Kratom. Kratom is, is made its way. It's a legal herb that you can get. It's from Indonesia. And I had some today. Did you? And they're saying they're using it a lot in Canada and in other parts of the country nowadays to get people off of opiates mm -hmm. because it mimics the opium high or opiate high of a heroin or a, a hydrocodone, you know, whatever the, the myriad of synthetic opiates that we've created that is causing and wreaking havoc on our country right now especially during these times of isolation, people are overdosing like crazy on, on opiates. And instead they could take some Kratom, which doesn't have the same kind of side effects, 
but helps block that part of the addiction phase so you can get off of your opiates, right? right. So these are plant medicines are amazing and there's such a myriad of them. And so I, I, I invite the audience to go out and research some of these kinds of plant medicines so that they can make some decisions. Let me, give me a, another example of an experience that you've had that has healed a trauma or, you know, created a, a massive effect for you in your life. Yeah. So I will say that the, the only plant medicines that I've had experience with, you know, I, I dabbled with LSD when I was in college, that was a very long time ago, but, you know, as an adult, just over the past couple of years, uh, psilocybin and 5-MeO-DMT are the two that, that I've had experience with recently. And 5-MeO-DMT is, they call it the God molecule. And it's very different than regular DMT. And I don't have any experience with that. I've, I've never been called at this point to, to sit with Mother Ayahuasca. Um, that's something where I'm curious, but I'm waiting until I feel like that's, it's, it's calling me to do that. And, and I'm not there yet, but the, the five MEO DMT is from the Sonoran desert toad. And it's the, the poison secretion that comes from that toad. And it is something that is extremely powerful and is certainly not intended for any sort of recreational use. It, 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 trust me, it's, it's not something that's a good time while you're in ceremony. It is, um, have you had experience with that one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've had five MAO. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it puts you somewhere else. And so I have had three different ceremonies in the past year and a half, two years with five MAO. Each experience has been very different. The messages that I received have been very different afterwards. I will tell you that after the first one, that was when I had that stuck energy that I had to express. Once I did that and was able to, to do the body work and, and express everything, um, I felt my world absolutely open up. I felt any of the insecurities that I've lived with my entire life and I'm in my forties completely be gone. Um, I've seen friends who've had, who've been alcoholics recover from sitting with the medicine. Um, and it, it's not something, this is, this is very important to talk about. The medicines don't do all of the work for you. You know, I was talking about prior to sitting with any of the, the earth medicines to make sure that you're working on your intentions prior to the ceremonies, but it's even more important that you are doing integration work after the ceremonies. It's not something that you can just sit in ceremony and, and get a download of information and you're done. That's, that's not it. Like you have to be doing the meditation, doing the, the uh, going within and really seeking what it is that you are trying to, to find within yourself. Um, in fact, my last ceremony, which was this summer, what I, I really got out of that one was, and it took a couple of weeks for it to kind of come through to me. I came out of ceremony and I was really disappointed because I didn't come out of it with like this opening enlightenment that I had experienced before right away. I came out of it like, okay, I, I know I fully let go. I was completely deep in it, but I didn't get the, the information. It was within the next couple of weeks. And what the messaging that I started to see was that 
I had been closing myself off to my own vibration, my own opening to what the universe had in store for me. And I was doing that, I think, out of a lot of fear that was going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic. I just left my corporate job in February and then the pandemic happened in March. And like, oh, dear God, what have I done to myself? Like, you did this. Um, so, you know, I started to kind of close myself off. And what I, what I started to realize is that I had to be more open to what the universe has in store for me. And, you know, I started listening to more Abraham Hicks again, which I had listened to sometime in the past and, and haven't listened to in a while. And just reminding myself of being more open, being more um, willing to, to see what is coming, to you know, know that the things that I'm teaching other people that I can't just spew that information out and expect it to be absorbed by people. They have to be ready and willing to receive. They have to be a willing participant in the coaching and want to be able to make the changes. So, you know, I've seen a real shift in myself. Um, the first time that I did 5-MeO, I, I quit taking antidepressants prior to the ceremony because there are some antidepressants that can be in contradiction with some of the earth medicines. So I wanted to make sure that I was free of that. And I haven't gone back since. Um, it's, I've, I've been able to see how the food that I'm consuming has a huge impact in my moods and in depression how working out every day plays a role in that, how my own mindset plays a role in that and making sure that I'm using the right language when I'm speaking to myself. It, it just, it changes things for me. And then, you know, I do microdose, not every week, but um, most weeks I, I will microdose a day or two and it's a low enough dose that you don't feel it and you shouldn't feel it when you're microdosing. Um, and it just, I feel like it's opened up my creativity and has allowed me to be more expressive in the work that I'm doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience that you, you're interested in getting across to them? Yeah, I would say just because I was just talking about the mindset piece is that we do have the ability to control our thoughts and we don't have to be a victim to the experiences that we've had in the past. We don't have to stay on repeat with the cycles that we put ourselves through, whether it be in repeating relationships or repeating daily habits, that we have the ability within to choose how we want to think and how we want to behave and to seek for the, the best healing for ourselves through the lifestyle choices that we're making. Cool. And if you had three things that are actionable steps that people could take right now, today, tomorrow, mm -hmm. what would those three things be? Those would be food, meaning avoid the inflammatory foods and, and keep your focus on non-inflammatory food intake. Move your body every day, even if it's just going outside for a walk or doing some sort of movement in your living room. And three, watch your thoughts in the language that you're using with yourself and with others. That's awesome. I appreciate you coming on to the show. And, uh, and I hope that the audience got a lot of information that is going to be really helpful to them. And, uh, and so we'll end the call and end the, uh, the conversation now, but 
I really appreciate it. Give me a, a couple of places where people could get a hold of you if they want to. Sure. My website is glendasparrow.com and on Instagram and Facebook, it's Glenda Sparrow Coaching. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, audience, for listening. This has been another episode of Create a New Tomorrow, where we talk about actionable ways that you can change your world, change the life, and make the world a better place. So thank you so much, and, uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.